Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. If you would like to participate in online worship, sermons, and children's programs, then check out the Renaissance Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, let's get started. Welcome, Renaissance. Uh, My name is Jeff. I am one of the leaders here at the church, and I would like you to join with me as we continue on our second week of a series that we're calling Coffee Mug Theology. And what do we mean by coffee mug theology? Well, I brought an example for you right here. Everyone has seen those coffee mugs that has like a verse on it, right? Or maybe you have some of that Hobby Lobby art, you know what I'm talking about, (laughs) that has some like scripture verse on it, right? Or maybe you have a, a, a bumper sticker on your car or something something that has a Bible verse? Well, oftentimes those verses that we see on coffee mugs or possibly on the back of cars or on Hobby Lobby art uh, are oftentimes learned and remembered and misunderstood primarily because they've been taken out of context. And so the whole idea with this series is to take those verses that have been pulled out of context and put on a mug and put them back into the context through which they were intentionally and and, and, and intended to be given. For example, our, our verse this week is from the Apostle Paul. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Silence. Anyways... I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's Philippians chapter four. I'm not used to this. Philippians chapter four, verse 13. And it says this, and you've, you've probably heard it before. I can do all things through him. Speaking of Jesus Christ, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when we talk about that verse, we oftentimes learn that that verse has been co-opted by people looking for victory and more, right? Success in their lives. They quote that verse before they go into a business meeting. Many students quote that verse having not studied for a final exam. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. If you follow sports at all, you'll see professional football players and baseball players put Philippians 4.13 on their cleats, sometimes on the cheeks in those black marks, right, for the sun. There's race car drivers who have Philippians 4.13 put on the back of their race cars. Maybe the most famous example is when Evander Holyfield, on his purple robe, he had Philippians 4.13 on the back of it when he marched out to defeat Mike Tyson in the 11th round, TKO, right, to win another heavyweight title. We use that verse to garner support for our belief that God wants us to succeed, that we need to have more. And I wonder why that verse has been co-opted for that purpose only. Why is it only used for winning? Why is it only used for things? And if we were to study what Paul is saying about that verse, we'll realize that that's truly not the intention that Paul had. In fact, if we were to look at the context of that verse, we see something gradually different. Contentment is an issue that our world has a hard time understanding. Contentment just means to be satisfied with what you have, to be happy with what you have. And contentment is oftentimes something that we struggle with in our world. If you look at the media and everything that it teaches us, it oftentimes paints a picture of ourselves that that drives us to want more in everything. We want more money, more success. We want to be better looking. If you're not better looking, we can make you better looking. You can have surgeries for that. Good luck. I'm just saying. We can do all of these types of things. We can have better friends. We can have bigger homes or tiny homes. That seems to be a thing now, right? Where you buy a conversion van and move you and your dog into it and live in Walmart parking lots. (laughs) What kind of life is that? Anyways, I digress. We have an issue with contentment. 
We want more. The media is constantly telling us that we should drive for more, that we should strive for more. Did you know this? In the world, pollsters have told us this, researchers, researchers have told us this, that marriage is on the decrease, that less people are getting married now. Why do you think that is? Is it possible that they're just too hesitant to settle down with one because another one might come by that's better than the one? Maybe that's it. Maybe they're just saying, I don't want to settle down with a spouse because my job will demand so much of me. Why does that matter? Because my job is how I'm going to gain all of the things that I want in this life. And if it's not marriage rates going down, it's it's actually divorce rates going up. More and more people are getting divorced than ever before. And if we take out the ones for like infidelity and if we take out the ones for abuse and if we take out like drug addictions or whatever and we just look at the people who are getting divorced, 50% of people are getting divorced-ish, 50%-ish are getting divorced just because the other person is not making them happy anymore. They don't feel content with that person. The world has an issue with contentment. And so if we look at the verse that Paul is writing here, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens him. He's actually speaking more about gaining success or winning an award or a medal or an accolade. He's actually talking about contentment. And to understand that, we'll have to look at the entire part of this section in the Bible. So if you have a Bible with me, we'll turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to read verses 10 through 14. We will put the words on the screen. You can follow along there. This is Paul writing here. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. That you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do, here it is, all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet, he says, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. If it's okay with you, I would like to pray that God would open our eyes to see the truth that's in this verse. Would you bow your heads with me? God, open our eyes and our ears that we would see and hear the truth that you have for us. Lord, the world and all its best intents has just taken this verse and turned it into something that it was never intended to be. God, you can help us restore this and its true meaning, that we might benefit from learning about it, that we might know more about you and your will for our lives, God. We pray that you be with us and that you help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. So when we look at the issue of um, contentment and the reason that verse has been used oftentimes out of you know, context is truly because we're beginning to believe that sometimes our contentment, right, how satisfied or how happy we are in life is somehow birthed out of our circumstances, now, when we look at what Paul is saying, you can already tell that he's learned to, to be content, to be happy or satisfied when he has much and not much at all. We're learning from Paul that circumstances truly don't play that much into this at all, but we don't seem to understand that. 
He says here in verse 10 that I've rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me and that you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Just a backstory on what Paul is saying here. Paul has actually received a gift from his friends in the Philippian church. I'll need a little bit of time to set the stage for this, but if you give me a moment, I'd like to tell you what's going on here. The Apostle Paul was a, uh, a missionary, if you will. It just means that he traveled around the Mediterranean teaching people about the truth and the love of Jesus. And everywhere he went, he would establish these little churches. People became Christians. They began meeting in houses. And these little churches were birthed. He actually brought the gospel into Europe as well. But Paul is traveling around. He lands in a city called Philippi, and he plants a small church there. He then leaves, does some other things, and on another missionary journey, he comes back to stay with them. He thanks them for their hospitality. He takes an offering from them for the poor in Jerusalem and then begins to make his way back down to Jerusalem so that he can take this offering, this money, and give to the poor people there. While he's in Jerusalem, he's arrested. The Jewish authorities arrest him. They arrest him for something that he, in fact, did not do. It's a side story. We don't need to bother ourselves with all of that. But just know this. At some point, Paul is getting a trial in and around Jerusalem, and he realizes, I'm never going to get a right trial here. So he appeals to Caesar. Backstory in the backstory is that Paul is actually a Roman citizen because his father was Roman, possibly. So he appeals to Caesar, so they put him on a boat and ship him to Rome. Therein he lays in a house arrest type situation. Imagine this, he's not thrown into a dungeon because he is a Roman citizen, but he does have like an apartment or a little Airbnb or something outside of Rome, right? And he's been locked into that thing, chained kind of with, with an anklet. Anyone know, anyone? Don't raise your hand on the anklet thing. Anyways. Joe, anyways, so, and he has Roman guards sitting outside of his house there, and he's in, under house arrest for two years. While he's there for two years, he pens a few letters, four of them, in fact. We call them the prison epistles, or the prison letters. There's one to the Ephesians, one to the Colossians, to Philemon, and this one to the Philippians. And he's writing this letter because he had received a gift from his friends in the Philippian church. And by gift, I mean this. They had sent him money, clothes, resources of some part. And they also sent Epaphroditus along with him to help Paul. You can imagine how difficult it is to get groceries when you're chained to a wall in your house. And so he needed people to serve him and to help him. Timothy was there helping him. Epaphroditus comes to help him and they have given him money. So now while he waits for his trial for two years in Rome, he is being supported. And all of the gratitude just boils up in him and he thanks them in this letter. But you have to see this, that even though he is thankful for the gifts that he has received from them, he speaks to something that our world has struggled to understand, something we've already mentioned. It's this issue of being content. And Paul continues, verse 11. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, it's not what he's saying, but I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He says the words, I have learned. He says that two times in four verses. I have learned, I have learned, I know, I know. Paul has this understanding of something that he's gained through experience. Now, know this, when Paul is saying, I have learned something, we need to pay attention. Paul is in fact a brilliant man who studied under an even more brilliant man named Gamaliel. 
Gamaliel was one of the wisest people the Jewish people ever looked up to. He was a PhD, if you will, in the law of the Jews, and, and uh, Paul studied at the feet of Gamaliel. In fact, when Paul is giving his resume, if you will, to some other people, he mentions that. He says, hey, bro, I've studied at the feet of Gamaliel. I went to Harvard. Something like that is what he's saying. He's saying, I know some things about some things. And yet when he says here, I have learned, he's not pointing to that which he's learned from Gamaliel and the way of the law, but he's learned something else. And he's learned something through Christ, we'll get to in a moment, and through his circumstances in following Jesus. I have learned. The world, as I mentioned earlier, is teaching us, always teaching us teaching us what we should think, how we should behave, who we should be friends with, how we should vote, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're always being told what to do. And what we must understand as believers in Jesus, that oftentimes Jesus will lead us a different way than the world would lead us. Would you agree with that? Just nod and I'll move on. I got all day, I could, right? Yes. Yes, God wants to lead us through Jesus. And oftentimes the things that Jesus is teaching us is different than the things that the world is going to teach us. And Paul is informing us of that right there. I have learned, and he's not learned this through Gamaliel, he's learned this through his situation and the circumstance that he finds himself in. And that is true for us too. We must oftentimes relearn the things that we have been taught to believe. Most oftentimes, the most difficult thing that people encounter when they become a Christian, and if I could just speak from my own experience here, that when we become Christians and you know, followers of Jesus, if you will, is that we have to learn to live differently than we used to live. And for many of you, myself included, this becomes a rub for us because all of our friends aren't Christians, or mine weren't at least, and so now I'm trying to follow after things and to do things that my friends don't have any desire to do. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and the things, I won't say who they are and what they like to do, but the things they wanted to do are now no, no longer things that I wanted to do. I had learned a new way. I had learned a different way. And he's speaking of this contentment that he had learned through Jesus. Like Paul, who learned at the feet of Gamaliel, we too need to now learn from the feet of Jesus like he did. In fact, we just sang about it a few moments ago. Did anybody catch that? I wish I had planned that. How smart would that be? I'm not that smart. We'll chalk that one up to the Holy Spirit. Anyways, he says, I have learned in whatever situation to be content. And Paul's situation, his circumstances in all his life, especially since following Jesus, have not always been good, have not always been joy-filled, excited, you know, fun, pleasure-filled. He's oftentimes gone through very difficult things. The Bible tells us at one point, Paul admits that he has been beaten by the Jewish authorities five different times. He says he received 40 lashes minus one. That's 39 if you're counting. He got beat 39 times on five different occasions. Why? Because he followed Jesus. And he continues to tell more of his story in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, a few pages before. He says this about his circumstance. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and for the young people in the room, it just means this. 
Aw. My kind of people. And he says, I was once stoned. Know this, it wasn't like some bullies in the neighborhood were throwing rocks at him when he walked by. No, it in fact says this. They, they grabbed Paul, they beat him, dragged him out of the city, and they threw heavy rocks upon him until they thought he had died. They thought they killed him. When he, when he says, I was stoned, he was beaten to death, basically. But somehow, through the Lord, he was revived. He continues, three different times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Paul's life was filled with hardship, turmoil, turmoil, sufferings is what Paul is saying. And yet he says he's learned through all of these situations, through Christ, to be content. He's learned to be content in this. He says here in verse 12, he says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. I've learned these things. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I have learned a secret. Now, in, in Paul's day, the Greek and Roman religions oftentimes had secret initiation rites. It's almost like Paul is hearkening to that idea. But know this, this is just a little different than some back room thing with a goat and some hooded people or something. The secret that Paul says he knows now is Jesus. And it's not a secret like no one's supposed to know about it. It's a secret in a sense that Paul had never known it yet. And now that he knows it, he understands it. See, the hardest thing for us as a church, right, is, is my goal as I lead a church here is to try to create a way and such, uh, create services, right, gatherings like this where we can present Jesus Christ to people who do not know who he is. Listen, he's the secret we've been wanting to tell you. All too often, churches do a really bad job. They offer you all kinds of other things and then do what we call a Jesus juke and then fake them. Here's the Jesus stuff, right? You want to come for a free meal? All right, cool. Now sit down and listen to me talk to you about Jesus first before you eat a meal, right? You want to do some really cool fun stuff with your families? That's fine, but let's talk about Jesus first. We never want to play those games. Here at, at Renaissance, it is Jesus first, always and forever, Yes. And he's the secret. He's the thing that Paul is addressing. I have learned this secret, this understanding, and it is, in fact, Jesus Christ. His secret was reliance on Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he says. My circumstances don't drive contentment for me. You know, for people who allow our circumstances to drive our happiness and our satisfaction, then can we just admit 2020 wins? Like who, who wants to quit 2020 already? Can we do that? I don't know if we can do that. Our circumstances don't drive contentment. The secret is found in Jesus. Through Jesus Christ and his strength, I can be content. When I have much, I'm content. And when I have little, I'm content. And I know some of you are in the room, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I want to be the much and content, right? I want to have the much and be content, right? Be careful what you ask for. 
Humility is a very hard thing to walk around with some days. Anyways, Paul continues to say that I have received this secret that is Jesus Christ, and he's done so through the circumstances of his life. Rick Mellick, who is a commentator on the Bible, on his commentary in uh, Philippians, or on Philippians, he says this. He says, circumstances are the arena of our spiritual growth. I love that. Now picture this, Paul is probably writing this letter from his house prison, not far from the Colosseum, right? The arena where gladiators would fight, oftentimes to the death, that sometimes Christians were martyred as they were thrown to wild beasts in the middle of that arena for the sport of the Romans and the gathers, those gathered around. And Melek says that the arena of spiritual growth in our lives is our circumstances, Our circumstances oftentimes are are not unlike the Colosseum, where we're doing battle with things and we're trying to stay alive. And I'm just here to say, sometimes you just have to let some things die in the arena of your circumstance so that Christ can live in it. Sometimes you have to let your own desires die because they're not birthed on Jesus Christ. They're not from God, they're from yourself. And just so you know, you make a terrible God. I mean, I love you. You're not a very good God. You don't know all. You can't see all. You're not all powerful. You can only do so much. So all that to say is in our circumstances, we can learn more about contentment. Now, I always felt like this, that the practical part of church here is, I feel like, does anybody remember um, biology in school? Does anybody remember biology? Right? My favorite thing about biology in school was lab, right? Where you actually stepped away from the book and you got to actually touch things, right? Like dead cats and fetal pigs, anyone? And, you know, right? Because you can learn about all that stuff in the textbook, right? We can learn about, you know, genetics and the color of Drosophila eyes, right? All that stuff. But it's not until you get into lab and actually experiment with that, does it start to click for you and make sense? See, here's what I think. I think oftentimes the church is kind of like the textbook part. Like when we gather here on a Sunday, like I'm trying to educate you, inform you, teach you. But when we leave here, we step into what is the lab of our Christian experience. We have to then go live it out. And the issue for us is we have to learn to make what that which is momentary continual. That which we share on a Sunday morning and enjoy and love, but make it work all throughout the week. I love our Sunday morning worship. Anyone? Let me just try over here. I love my Sunday morning worship. Anyone? Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> I knew this side was better. I knew it. If you don't know what's wrong with this side, if you would just turn your eyes to this right here. <laughs> it's Joe. It's Joe. <laughs> Anyways, to take that which is momentary and make it continue. I love our Sunday morning worship. But what about Tuesday night worship? What about Saturday afternoon worship? What about Wednesday at lunch on your, at work on your lunch break worship? What about, what about those See, we can come here and we can experience what God is saying to us. And I hope you're learning something today. But what matters is when we leave this place and enter the arena of our circumstances, when we go into our lives. 
And we have to learn to be content through Christ Jesus. Now, Paul, if I could get ready to finish with this idea, he has this um, understanding that circumstances um, can can cause our eyes to drift off of Christ. And so he's, he's always wanting to keep our eyes onto Christ Jesus because he knows true contentment comes from him. It comes from Jesus Christ and him alone. In Philippians chapter three, Paul says some other words here, starting here in verse seven. He says, whatever I gain, I had, I had counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, everything I've had, I consider it lost. Like he's saying, everything I've ever had and gained because of my work, I would throw it away to know Jesus. I'd give it, I'd give it away. I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as garbage, rubbish. Ladies and gentlemen, at the end of our days, right, everything we have is wood, hay, and stubble, the Bible says. It will all burn away at some point. It will all disappear. There will be nothing left of the material things that we have. The one thing that will be left will be Jesus. It'll be us. Those of us with faith in Jesus, we will live. Paul says so. Verse nine, and be found in him. He says, I don't have a righteousness on my own that comes from following the law. It just means like this. My righteousness does not come from following all the religious rules. And some of you think that you have to earn your way to, to have favor with God. How many people here, if we just be honest for a moment, can admit that sometimes they feel so far from God because they forgot to pray or they feel like when, when, when things are happening in your life, things are really difficult, you go back to say, well, what have I not done? Have I forgot to pray this week? Have I, oh, did I not go to church this week? How many people would admit to, to that? Sometimes you feel that bad circumstances in your life are because you haven't done something. I'm just here to tell you, that's a lie. It's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie. that our righteousness does not come from the works that we do. Praise the Lord because you're not strong enough to do all of them anyways. But he says that our righteousness comes through faith in Christ. That it's in fact a righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith alone. It's not what we do. It's what he's done. It's not even who we are, it's who he is. It's our identity in him. And see, our circumstances have afford us this wonderful opportunity to see if our faith is in fact in Christ Jesus or if it's in ourselves. Can we be content? Can we be satisfied and happy when things aren't going as well as we thought they would? And if we're not content, if the little idol factory inside of our hearts is desiring other things that is not Jesus, 
then those things are exposed. And then we have to then choose, who do we decide to follow today? Paul says, I have learned something. I have an understanding that comes from my circumstances alone. Like I couldn't read this in a book alone. And I'm here to tell you, 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 you need more than just the book here. You need experience with Jesus Christ, your savior. You need more than just head knowledge. You need to know him. You need to have experiences with him. You need your righteousness to be found in him alone. The righteousness comes from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What strange words to say, but it just means this, that Jesus Christ, after having offered his life as a sacrifice for us sinners, was buried in a grave, but God raised him from the dead. The first of the resurrection, the Bible tells us. And then those in faith in Christ Jesus will one day too be resurrected with him. Now, when we think about that, when we think about what our eternity holds for us and it has nothing to do with our circumstance, you can see how easy it is to find strength in that. Our circumstances don't drive our happiness. Jesus does. Why? Because in his strength, I will be raised from the dead. Whatever happens here right now, I will overcome this. Yes, it is a victory verse for sure, but it's not just how to win the next sporting event, right? It's not just how to get another award at work. That our strength comes from Christ Jesus. My wife said, um, just have fun. And she said that because she knows me. She knows me better than any of you. She knows that I didn't sleep last night. She knows that I've been having panic attacks all morning. She knows that um, She just knows, she knows pressure that, that I feel sometimes that no one else knows. And she said, Jeff, just go have fun. And I looked at her in a way that only husbands can look at their wives, like, shut up. <laughs> we'll edit this out of the podcast, don't worry. <laughs> I mean, if I could just confess to you, the circumstance of my day has just increased my strength in Jesus. Just the ability to come out here and talk to you guys about this verse that I've been studying like greatly over the last week or so, just in the circumstance of this morning, the strength 
of Christ has been revealed to me. Now, you guys might not think so. You're like, man, he could use some more strength in Christ. Jesus, I don't know. But know this, I'm better having gone through what I've gone through this morning. I pray you are too. Or maybe you're just one of those who just had to check off the box that I went to church this morning. And I pray Jesus would just take that idea and throw it in the trash where it belongs. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content when I abound or when I'm hungry, when I don't need and when I do need. I can be content. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for our time here today. I thank you for my own little circumstantial struggle this morning. Praise you, Lord. I just give thanks to you. Father, we have asked that your son Jesus be exalted and lauded in this place, that he would be the famous one. God, may all of our attention be directed towards Jesus Christ, that our circumstances would fall to the wayside, that our strength comes from knowing that our righteousness, our justification, our sanctification, all of these things come through Christ and not our own work, Lord. God, we thank you for everything that you do for us. God, would you be with us the rest of our time this morning. Open our eyes to see this truth. Rescue this verse out of the arena of just athletics, right? And make it a life verse for us as well. That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing Him. If you would like to get connected with what's going on here at Renaissance, then find us on social media or visit us online at rendicator.org. Remember to check out the Renaissance Church at Home page for online worship, sermons, and children's programs that are being offered during the COVID-19 outbreak.